0: Okay, if you could, if you could please stand for the reading of the Word of the Lord. 纳舍，希律王手下苦害教会中几个人，用刀杀了约翰的哥哥雅各。他见犹太人喜欢这事，又去捉拿彼得。那是正是出日的呃出教的日子。希律拿彼得守在监里，交付四班兵丁看守，每班四个人。Okay. 意思要在一月之后站在旁边穿上鞋一项想一想就往那称呼马克的约翰 他们说,彼是他的天使,彼得不足的桥门, 就审问看守的人 吩咐把他们拉出, 坐在五位上 uh, this is the reading of the word of the Lord. Thank
1: you, Bill. That's a you get yeah. Thank you so much, Bill and Sue. I knew you, know you have to go to an adult class. Uh, thank you for doing the gestures. We kind of knew what was going on as uh, as we were watching you. And at the end of the service, Bill and Sue are going to be coming back and we will be down here. So I hope many of you will come and talk with them, tell them that you're praying for them. And just welcome home. Welcome home. I, I hope, Lord willing, I might be able to get out and see you this fall. We'll, we'll see if that's possible. And just in case this is a good time to tell you, some of you don't know, especially if you have a Chinese heritage or a Japanese or a Korean, we uh, translate the messages every week into uh, a variety of languages. There's an Asian fellowship table right back there. And if you uh, have a first generation parent or grandparent who may have a hard time following how fast I speak, they can come and follow along with this. So just want you to be aware of that. They're also online just for your information. Well, we live in a a community where many languages have spoken. Have, Have you noticed that? Anyway, today we are going to be talking about a significant, but it's a huge topic uh, the topic on one side is the one that I think for Christians throughout the centuries has been the one that has given us the most hope. But at the same time, I think that's the same topic I'm talking about has created for a lot of people lots of confusion. Now the topic is, is usually called the sovereignty of God. Uh, that God is in charge or in control of everything that happens. I'll tell you, this is, this is what Christians believe. This is why Christians have always believed. And because we believe that there's nothing that happens that's outside of our Father's control, and because we believe He, he not only controls, but He's good, then that means you and I can go through these tough times that feel out of control and still be, have hope. Because we say, we trust you, God, and we'll wait for you. That, that's, that's the hope that we have from this truth that we hold to. But there is confusion in in this at times, isn't there? And the real confusion comes, I think, especially in those moments when everything in our own personal lives are out of control. You know what I mean? Where, Where it just seems like there are things in this world that seem to be more powerful than God. Uh, When when there is injustice or or disease or pain or things in our family, they just seem out of control. And then in those times we ask those natural questions. Where are you, God? Are you really all-powerful? Or or maybe some people are right that, yes, I believe in a God, but He's really transcendent. He's just out there. He's not really involved in this world. Or many times it's it's those times of of, uh, things being out of control that lead people to think... That there's no God at all. But the Bible keeps coming back to us. And God keeps saying, no, I am. And I am here. And I know what I'm doing. And you can trust me. And this isn't just my idea. It fills the Bible. I've just pulled out a couple of verses just so that you'll know. This is what God reveals about himself. I I thought I'd first. There are many of them. But I'll just show you a few. First Chronicles chapter 29 verses 11 and 12. Just listen to what the Word of God says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, which means He's the one ruling. And you are exalted as the head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all in your hand are power and might in your hand there is power to give strength to all that's pretty clear don't you think <laughs> then you move just a couple of books beyond that and you come to Isaiah and you have God himself through the prophet Isaiah declaring this himself Isaiah 46:10 in which he says I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying my counsel shall stand I will accomplish my purpose once again that's so clear isn't it and this is what gives us hope in those great verses that Christians we have memorized and remember again and again like Romans 8:28. Where the Apostle Paul would say, because of this, we know, we know that in all things God works. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. He works for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? But, now the issue is, in the world that we live in, what does that look like? In this imperfect world that God has put us in. Uh, because the other part of what the Bible teaches us is that God made you and me in his image. And a part of that is he gave us the ability to make real moral decisions. And when we make decisions, when you and I do things, the decisions have consequences. And when, when we do evil, it brings evil consequences. And if we think, why does God let this happen? I mean, if we're not going to be people in his image, if we're, if we're going to be something other than robots then God's not just... Every time I do something wrong, He's just going to poof, undo what I've done. That's, that's an absurd world. So, so you and I are made in God's image. We are moral agents. And what we do has consequences. But the problem is, how does this fit together? <laughs> that... Here we are making decisions whether to come to church, whether to listen right now, what to think about right now. And yet at the end of the day, while that's all true, God says, but my purposes are going to be fulfilled. I am in control. Now, I'm just going to tell you up front. I don't understand this fully. I don't care how many degrees I have to after my name. I cannot put all that God is and does into my little brain. I'll just tell you that. But the Bible helps me with this. And the best way the Bible describes how it is that God is God, and yet He interacts with us meaningfully, is that He tells us real-life real stories of what it looks like. And one of the best is this story in Acts chapter 12. It's one of the best. It's one of the most beloved stories in the history of the church. That, did you notice that there is danger there? There are bad guys there. There's imprisonment there. There's miracles there. There's a victory at the end. This is There's, there's humor there. What, were you, maybe you weren't paying attention. Really, it's kind of a fun story. But it starts with it looking like the evil guy, this king, so-called King Herod, Who's sort of like a slimy Monty Python type king when when you really think, he seems to be in control. He does. But at the end of the time, at the end of Acts 12, we know that he is not. That God is God. I'll tell you, when I read this chapter, what it feels like to me is it feels like a compressed version of the way I experience life. I come here and, and together with you, I acknowledge God is God. I go out and things are hard, right? And you wonder, and then at the end of the day we come back again and God is God, and that's what happens in Acts chapter 12. So as I've been preparing this and praying about it, I have a couple of prayers for us, and particularly for you. I want us to have Acts 12 guide us with regard to how to live with God in the midst of this hard world. Here's my prayer. I am praying that all of us are going to respond to Acts 12 in these ways, that we'll pray more fervently, that that you will, in the midst of tough times, live more obediently to God. Because when things are hard, sometimes we almost give ourselves an excuse not to obey God, right? And number three, that you'll trust God more fully. The reality is, this sermon is really what our kids in VBS studied all week. Where they said, because God is God, we can, and did you hear, Stand strong all week. You you could hear them saying that stand strong in prayer, stand strong in walking with him faithfully, stand strong in trusting him and being at peace when when everything seems out of control. So that's what we're going to look at. So let's think about this mystery of God's sovereignty. Acts 12 begins with Herod killing one of God's chosen servants, James. First three verses. Look at it. But then it ends with God taking Herod's life. So here's my point. If if you and I only read the beginning, if we only read the first few verses, it it seems like Herod is the one in control. Right? Now this Herod in Acts 12 is is Herod Agrippa I. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, the, the one who was trying to make a mess of things when Jesus was born. And had all of the infant children uh, killed. this is his grandson, so th- things haven't gotten a lot better in, the, in that family. He had been made king by emperor's Caligula of all people. kind of lets you know what kind of a king he was, <laughs> and, and by uh, King Claudius. Now, what happens in the first four verses of Acts 12 would make people like us who only look at things from a human perspective. It would make us think that Herod truly was the one who is the power in this world. So we'd better knuckle down to him. And I'll tell you, that's clear that that's how people thought about it. When you get to the end of Acts 12, to verses 20 to 22, these people from Tyre and Sidon come in because he seems to control everything, including their food. They bow down before him and treat him like he's a God. But let me tell you, he isn't a God. Um, So I thought we should just stop for a moment here. Because I think that there are many things in all of our lives that in the moment they feel like those things are in control. And so life seems out of control. Can you think of anything like that in your own life that might vie with God as being the one who really is in control? Sometimes people tell me it feels like that with my boss. Sometimes it's uh, it's disease or pain or pain. Sometimes it's something happening within the, uh, the family relationships here in our community, in our urban community. Sometimes it feels like it, for some it's the gang leader. Um, in our world, sometimes it feels like it's the uh, tyrants in the Middle East. You know, things going on right now, even as you've been following that. So just think about what might be, seem like the controlling power in your life this week. And if you can nail down something like that, then you can understand what's going on in Acts chapter 12. Uh, verses 1 and 2 provide a gruesome description of what Herod did to James. Uh, he took him and it says he died by the sword. And that is just a, a PG version of, uh, of being beheaded. That's what he did. And then he sees Peter and it looked like the same thing is going to happen. Because when he saw in verse three, how happy this made all the Jewish people when he took uh, James and killed him, he decided, I'm going to do this to everybody. In fact, we'll wipe out these Christian people by getting rid of their leaders. Because Herod, even though he was Jewish by uh, in his bloodline, uh, he was really Roman. And he always felt like they won't accept me. And and, and history tells us that he did anything to try to get the acceptance and pleasure of his people. So he he made them think that he was in control. But what happens in Acts 12 is that we will soon see that Herod's power doesn't last long. Uh, For those of you who like stories, this is like an eye-shaped plot you know, when you draw an eye, you start up here. So Herod starts high. He looks like he's in power, but by the end, he's not high at all. In fact, you see the gruesome way it's put that he he, he falls down and then he gets eaten many things by intestinal worms. Oh, I know. It's a, well, a PG 13. But the rest of the sermon isn't that. And then he was trying to. To keep God's purposes from heaven. He's going to stop the church. And stop the gospel. But look at verse 24. It ends with the word of God. That Herod sought to destroy. Increases and multiplies. So here it is. Um, If you stop reading. Acts 12 at verse 3. You might say there is no God. But if you don't give up too soon. You'll discover in the right time. That God is is God. And already the thing I want you to sort of pack away in your, the depths of your heart is when you get into those times where things seem to be such a mess and things are out of control, there are the moments that you've got to sometimes learn to wait for God to make himself known. See, the mystery is how God actually accomplishes these purposes. We, we see it. He allowed Herod to make real decisions and and to do things. But at the end of the day, he still says, I am going to bring good out of that. Because even this so-called king could not unseat the king of kings. And that brings me to the next thing. I I want to see how this works out. I've called it that there are always indicators of a higher power. There are, if you and I have eyes to see them, there are indicators of a higher power. It is was pretty hard. It was pretty evident a higher power in Acts 12, but it even took some really dramatic things for the people to see it. So Peter's situation in um, verse 4 is dire. James had just been beheaded. Peter, the better known leader of the church, was taken, slapped into a prison, and he would have been beheaded too, except that this feast was going on. And while he was in prison, just waiting for the feast to get over, So that then he could be brought out and beheaded. He was put under pretty formidable security. Did you read it? Even while he was sleeping, he had two guards around him. And outside the room, there were two more guards watching him. And beyond even his own prison, there was this iron gate that nobody would get through. From a human perspective, no chance that he would ever get out. He was going to have his head lopped off. So surely, now if that had been true of you... Um, what would you have been doing? Did you notice what Peter was doing? He was fast asleep. He was so deeply asleep that even when the angel came, he couldn't wake up. He was just kind of in a sewer. He was so much at peace. In order to sleep like that, you've got to be a person at peace. I think we would have been anxious and, and full of worry and we'd be fretting, but there he is just, just fast asleep and all the while in, in, in verse 5, the people of God were praying. Now, let me just ask you this. Okay, Peter is there in a prison. He's supposed to be beheaded. The church people were gathering as we what were they praying for? What do you think they might have been praying for? Well, don't you think surely they were praying that he'd get out of prison? Uh, Okay, I mean, so many times you pray for the so praying Lord, do a miracle, get him out of prison. And so this miracle happens. And even Peter can hardly believe it, because if you read this, did you notice as he's going out of the stories in such a stupor and finally gets out of the gate and the angel disappears? And finally, he says, oh, this isn't just a dream. It's real. Now, if that seems strange to you, if you go back to Acts 10, you know, he had three dreams or visions there. And I'm just really sure that Peter just thought, oh, brother, I'm getting so many of these dreams now. This is a, this is another one of those crazy dreams. Don't you think that's what was going on? Till finally he realized, this isn't a crazy dream. This is real. So what should I do? He went to church. And I hope that's what you'll do too. Uh, <laughs> he, he showed up at church. So he goes outside the door and he's knocking there on the door. And the servant girl named Rhoda comes up to the door. Oh, it's Peter. And she slams the door in his face. So he's still out there and she goes in. She says, you won't believe it. Uh, guess who's at the door? Peter's at the door. And they didn't believe it. So you know what that. Did you notice what they thought it must be? Number one, either Rhoda is out of her mind. Or number two, this must be Peter's guardian angel. Because, you know, Jewish people thought that the guardian angel looked like the person they're guarding. Uh, now, I don't know what made them think that those two things were more possible than him being out of prison. But they surely, it's like you and me. It sure is like me. Maybe it's not like you. But so many times, aren't there times we pray for things? Maybe pray a long time for things. And then when they happen, we just don't believe that they'll happen. See, they didn't have the eyes to see that God is still here. That there's a new presence at work. Now, God was giving them an indication that I am here and I am at work. But even him getting out of prison in this miraculous way. Was not the culmination of God's work. You know that, right? It was just an indication that God is still here and that He is worthy of our trust and our obedience. Uh, Peter would again be imprisoned. Twenty years later, he would be hung on a cross or hanged on a cross upside down, according to tradition. I think it's probably true. See, the end of things doesn't come until Revelation 21 and 22. And yet, even in our world, there are times where we need to have the eyes to know that God is here. And that he, is, he knows what he's doing. That he is worthy of our trust. Yeah, I, I think I've told you this many times. My prayer is that you're coming to Lake Avenue Church on a Sunday morning. Might every time you walk in here somehow be a time that you're not just punching the clock. But actually there will be an encounter with God. Some, some place where in our singing together or the reading of the word or in the preaching or some place. Where you just sense and said, oh, God is here and he is real. And because God is, is afoot. His work, He is, is at work. That I can go home and even if things seem out of control, I'll wait until I see what he's doing. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about this perhaps more than anybody. He wrote about it so beautifully in so many places. My favorite place that he wrote about it was in his uh, children's books. His Narnia Chronicles. Have you ever read them? Uh, if your parents or grandparents, you've got to read these to your children, read them many times. And in the first one, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, when the young girl Lucy first got out of her own country, because Lewis posits these other countries you can get into uh, and, and went into Narnia, this other land, Lucy walked into a frozen world under the awful reign of the white witch. Who had proclaimed herself to be the queen. So she sounds a lot like Herod in Acts 12, doesn't she? And it was a world in which with her seeming to be in control, much like this world. A world filled with oppression and injustice. You can read about it, death in which Lewis uh, describes it so unforgettably. He said it was a world where it was always winter and never Christmas. Now, I know the power of that loses something here in Southern California. Go and live in Chicago for a while and you'll see. (laughs) I'm looking out here at the small family in the middle. Justin, you're going to get to experience the reality of this when you go uh, to school in Chicago. Um, You go into the cold places. And and, and at first the snow is great, but after several months and you're just freezing there all the time, the one thing you just love is in the middle of winter, it's Christmas and the lights are out there and the evergreen trees. It's sort of that there's more to life than just frozenness. Uh, A world in which it's always winter and never Christmas. That is really bleak. So in, in Narnia, what happens is there's an evidence that Aslan... The Christ figure, the lion, is afoot. As in the midst of the frozenness, there is thawing that begins to happen. Little patches of green in the midst of the ice. And even though there was still more to happen, more battles to happen, more difficulties and challenges to take place, it was evidence that, as Lewis would write it, Aslan is afoot. Aslan is here. And that's what is happening in Acts chapter 12. God is declaring to a group of people that even though James has been killed and, and Peter might have his life taken, God is still God. And this is the evidence of it. And, and I'm telling you, there are evidences of it having, happening in our lives now. There are some happening right here at Lake Avenue Church in the last month uh, Two different people, I won't use their names, I'm hoping we can have a testimony sometime. Two different people in our church have told me rather beautiful ways that God has been making himself known. They're very similar. One was a man, one was a woman. Two people in in our church came to me and said something like this. Pastor Greg, I'm really shocked about what's happening in my home. Because for years I have prayed for my spouse. But with all of my praying and my attempting to witness, I just seemed to push him farther or her farther and farther away from God. But then one morning, Sunday morning, out of the blue, uh, he came to church. She came to church. And, and now my spouse has believed in Jesus. And now my spouse is getting me up and making me come to church when I don't want to go. It, it's, a, it's, it's a miracle. Let me tell you, in those places... Our first thought often is, oh, now everything's going to be perfect. It's not yet, is it? There are still issues we have to wrestle with and battles we have to walk through. But there are those places where God breaks in and gives us evidences that he is here. That there is a higher power at work in this world. It's what Jesus would call the kingdom of God. All right. How do we live in the midst of this hard world? So, again, some things are out of control when you say, Pastor Greg, something's really out of control. (laughs) How do we live? And that brings me back to what I've been praying about this week. Uh, Three things. I've been praying that you, that we, will become people who pray more earnestly and fervently. That number two, that even while the hard times are coming, there will be a commitment to being obedient to God. Being faithful, showing up at church, making sure our thought life is is good. Number three, that you'll be able to rest, sleep in the prison, rest even while you wait to see what God will do. So let us pray more fervently. Uh, Verse five is such a powerful transition that doom and gloom in the first four verses And on verse five, people were praying fervently. Do you see it? Some of the versions put it while Peter was in prison. uh, The people of God were in church and they were praying. How's your if you have in front of you earnestly. It's often translated earnestly. Uh, The word really meant to stretch out. Do you get you get the picture here that whenever things seem to be wrong, you stretch out your hand toward the one, the only one who has the ability to help. And that's what prayer is. And so in this world, God is declaring, I am God and I am here. And when we give our lives to Jesus, He gives to us a great gift. And and that gift is the gift of prayer. It's through prayer that we really enter boldly into the presence of God and say, Here I am. I don't understand it. And God will often say, Trust me. I know what I am doing. Many times the prayer has to be individually. But here in Acts 12, you see it is corporate prayer. It's a church praying together. And it seems to me so many times there's just such a power when God's people pray together. And so I've been thinking, all right, back in Acts 12, um, Peter was sleeping in a prison and the people were praying. If you have your worship folder... Um, we have a description. If you, if you have one underneath that picture of me, that probably was taken about 10 years ago, I think. Um, you find a description of what is happening with Huangs uh, unjustly being in a prison, unjustly being put in a prison. Uh, we've been praying individually. Okay, I've been reading Acts 12. It, it told me that when Peter was in prison, the church people prayed together. Uh, We I know we don't do this very often. It might be a little bit awkward, but maybe not all that awkward I would like us to stand for just a moment and maybe if you can find three or four people around you And if you feel uncomfortable, just pray on your own, but pray aloud and I would like you to take time to pray for the Huangs. I want you to pray that uh, God would set them free even as you pray specifically for that I want you to tell God you trust him whatever he does, whenever he does it. But this is, as you as a child, what you want to ask him to do. Stretch out your hand toward God. So let's stand for just a moment. Pray with one another fervently and then I'll bring that to a close and bring the message to a cause. Let me ask you to let this prayer only be the beginning of a week of prayer. And let me let us close this in prayer. Father, as church people were gathering in Acts 12, their brother Peter was in prison with no hope. Uh, today we gather here and our brother and sister in human eyes had no hope. And just as Peter seemed to be so much at peace resting in you, they too seem to be so much at peace resting in you and their children as well. So we father come and we reach out earnestly we cry out to you urgently father on behalf of our brother and sister we ask you father to set them free father I pray that you will make yourself known in such a way that the world may look at this and know that you are God father we are not sovereign you are sovereign you know what you are doing and we trust you so father do what is best. But we, as your children, come together here at the Lake Avenue Church on behalf of our beloved brother and sister. Asking that you will do it again, that you will do it again. That we might know your power through their liberation. In the name of Jesus. Amen. We take a seat just for a moment. As I'm I'm praying that we'll continue in prayer and tonight we're going to come back in the upper room and and pray diligently for them here in this place at five o'clock. Here's what I want you to do, too. If you are in the midst of a hard time, I want you to live obediently. So many times we know what God expects of us, right? Other times we need to read his word more so that we can know. But but in these times, make a renewed commitment Lord, I'm going to obey you. I I, I just see this where there was so much opposition. James and Peter were told to be witnesses to Jesus and they just obeyed. And that that ended up with them being in prison while their brothers were in prison. God's people prayed. That's what they obeyed. They did what God told them to do. And for us to uh, the thing I want to ask you to do, if you are walking through a very troubled time. Is to learn to obey God because whatever God in his wisdom allows you to walk through the primary commitment of any follower of Jesus is always obedience. And I'm just so deeply convinced that when we learn to obey him, we will eventually see him. He will make himself known. So I want you to pray fervently. Uh, live obediently, and then learn to trust God fully. That's uh, God's promise, is He'll make everything right. It, it's this that I see in Peter. Of all the striking things in this chapter, Him just sleeping there in the prison so that, he, that even the angel can hardly wake Him up teaches me how we should learn to trust a sovereign God. That He is in control, He is good. He is worthy of our trust. So what I want you to do if you're walking through a challenging time is to engage in what I call an intentional act of faith. I've told you about this, that when Chris and I lost our middle child and it just made no sense to me when she was so sick and I was still praying for her healing. And then she died. We were going through John 14 and that section where Jesus says, as he said, I'm going to die. And he turned to them and he said, but don't let your heart be troubled. Easy to say, right? But then it's what follows. You trust God. Trust me. Um, I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And I'm going there for you. And I'm doing it for you. So trust me. I remember, I think I've told you this many times, closing my Bible and saying, that's it? Just. Learn to trust God like we ask parents, we ask our children to trust us and God as father says, yes, that's it. And so today I'm going to ask you, if you're walking through a time that makes it seem you wonder, where is God? I want to ask you, just like perhaps you when you first became a Christian and, you, you know, you had to engage. In, OK, I am a I follow Jesus. Here are my sins. I give them to you. I turn from them and I place my faith in you, Jesus. So a renewed intentional act of trust. Say, Lord, I don't know why that thing is out of control, but I trust you with it. And until I see what you're doing, help my unbelief. I will walk with you. I think God inspired and Luke wrote this chapter to make it clear to the early church that where often things seemed out of control, and not only for them but for you and me. That there are times when you and I feel very small and insignificant in the face of the things that we see in our world. That there are times where you feel overpowered when many things in this world seem beyond the control of anything else. But the truth is, according just, Matt Barnes He's one of our church people. He said, you know what Acts 12 is about? It's about Herod versus God. Herod seems to be ahead. Oh no, God wins. (laughs) That's, That's what it's about. If you stay with Jesus, you win. And if you oppose him, you lose. So those of us who are Trusting Jesus, let us be encouraged. Let's be bold. Tell others that there is always hope that God is there and God is worthy to be trusted. And then when we face the challenges ourselves, let us trust him and leave the outcome to him. To his glory. Amen.